turn there and uh, get prepared to get into God's Word this morning, I want to talk a little bit about a, uh, a discussion we had in the church just a couple of weeks ago um, on one of our conferences uh, where we um, decided as a church uh, to make some renovations uh, to the downstairs part of, of our building. And I'm not going to mention this a whole lot as far as uh, uh, encouraging people if the Lord has laid upon your heart to, to give money, uh, but I'm going to mention it a couple of times. Um, we were looking at how long it had been since any type of work had been done, and our best, uh, best guesstimate to the area that we're looking at is, is over 30 years. Um, that's a long time, isn't it? And so it's been a long time coming. Uh, we're looking at the bottom half of our church. Uh, when you come in, the carpet there, uh, essentially the entire first floor, not, not everything in the entire first floor, but essentially the first floor. We're looking at painting everything and um, uh, redoing the floor and then as well redoing the decor and the hallways and everything. It's a lot of work. It's probably going to be starting in the next couple of weeks. Uh, some of our ladies are going this week to pick out the colors for the walls and for the floors, so we're excited about that. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you, um, the church has uh, uh, voted to spend up to $80,000 on this. Um, uh, significant contributions have been made by uh, people in our congregation, and we're grateful for you as the Lord leads you to do that. But if that's something that the Lord is laying upon your heart, uh, you, can, you can give toward the building uh, fund uh, over the next uh, month or so as, as you begin to see work done. And if that's something the Lord is leading you to do, we would certainly appreciate it. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Lord, this morning as we look into your word and as we look into this idea of continuing and pressing on, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the drive to persevere in our faith and in our maturity in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember last week, we discussed the way of righteousness. Paul explained that righteousness doesn't come through human means, but that God, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, has made us righteous. You remember verse 9, Paul said that he did not have a righteousness that came from his own self, but he had a righteousness that came from God. That's what we call positional righteousness. That simply means that because you have been redeemed, because you have been saved, when you stand before God on the day that you die or on the day that He calls us up, when you stand before God, God will look at you through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be positionally righteous before God. But along with that righteousness, if you are saved, God now gives you a hunger and thirst after righteousness. You desire to live out 
what God has made you. In other words, you're going to want to live a godly life. And so this morning, we're going to see that our salvation is not the end of the story, but rather our salvation is actually the beginning of the story. And Paul's going to tell us here from personal experience that when a person is saved, they have a desire to press on to righteousness until the very end. And so this morning, I'm going to show you from the Word of God how we can continue to press on in this righteousness life that God would have us live. The first thing I want you to see here is we have to first properly define what perfection is. And Paul is mentioning perfection a couple of times here. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. Uh, why did God save us? In other words, what is the goal of our salvation? Well, Scripture tells us, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 tells us that God saved us to conform us into the image of His dear Son. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see Him, when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Folks, that's the goal. God saved you to make you like Jesus. That's the reason He did it. So here's what perfection is. Perfection is complete Christ-likeness. To be perfect is to be like Jesus in every area of your life. And so therefore, there are questions that I have to ask myself on a regular basis. Questions like, am I holy like Christ was holy when He was on this earth? When I see Jesus battling sin in the wilderness, when I see that temptation that was brought upon Him for 40 days, do I battle sin in my life in the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ battled sin? That's what makes me like Christ in my holiness. Am I humble like Christ? Do I turn the other cheek? Am I willing to serve people that others may not be willing to serve? Do I have a heart for people like Jesus did? Do I share the gospel and call people to repentance, walking down the streets even as Jesus did? So you see, when we define perfection as Christ-likeness, all of a sudden, perfection takes on a whole new idea, doesn't it? Perfection now becomes desirable because we see perfection is Christ-likeness. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Well, often perfection seems to have a negative connotation in our culture, doesn't it? When we think of perfection, it's kind of negative. Oh, she thinks she's perfect. Right? That's not a compliment, is it? Or, I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. We've all said that probably. Or, nobody's perfect. And you think about that. In our language today, in our culture, the term perfection has taken on a negative connotation. And that attitude actually keeps people from desiring perfection. But what I want you to do is replace perfect with the biblical explanation of the Word. And I want you to now listen to how that sounds. If you say, well, I'm sorry. I'm not like Jesus. Oh, wait a minute now. It doesn't sound like such a good thing to say now, does it? But understand, that's what perfection is in the Bible. In the Bible, when we're to be perfect, it means we're to be completely like Jesus. We're quick to say we're not perfect, but we're not quick to say we're unchristlike. Listen, to be perfect is to be like Jesus. That's what the definition is. And when Paul is speaking about perfection here, he's talking about 
complete Christ-likeness that he is striving every day in his life to be exactly like Jesus in areas of holiness and in, in, in every area in your life. Striving to be like Jesus. Now, now the second thing I want you to notice here is, is in verse 12 that, that, that we must humbly admit that we're not perfect. Two times, look at that, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Do you notice two times, even when you get down to verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So two times in verses 12 and 13, he says the same thing. He says, look, I've not arrived. I haven't reached this perfection. Now again, this is different than what we see in our culture. When we say, well, I'm not perfect, we're not saying it like Paul's saying it here. Normally we're being sarcastic. Or maybe we're saying it to justify ourselves. Oh, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But Paul doesn't say it that way. I want you to really get that because if you're not careful, you won't understand what Paul's saying here. Paul's not using it in that regard. He's saying it to his own shame. He's saying, I'm not perfect and that's shameful for me. He's saying, I want to be perfect. In other words, I want to be like Jesus. And so while we proudly say, I'm not perfect, Paul humbly says here, I'm not perfect. And he means, I'm not completely like Jesus. Now, there, there are two errors that I often see in the Christian life when it comes to spiritual growth. Number one, there are those who say, well, I'm positionally righteous. In other words, I'm saved, so there's no need to try and live righteously because guess what? I'm going to heaven anyway. Listen, if that is your true understanding of what it means to be saved, you don't understand what it means to be saved. There's a good possibility you're not saved. If you say, I'm just going to sin so that grace abounds, God will just keep forgiving me, and the more God forgives me, the more God, glory God will get. Paul dealt with that, didn't he? And he said, God forbid that anyone would live the Christian life that way. But we see that. And then the second one, the second error I see is this, is I can't be perfect, so why try? But understand, both of those errors are rooted in pride. Neither of those errors have humility in them. Let's deal with the first error first. If you wonder why you should try to live righteously, since you're already going to heaven, I want you to look at the end of verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Watch this. Here's your word. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Paul says, I press on to perfection. I press on to Christ's likeness. Why? Because Jesus has made me His own. Paul is saying, Jesus grabbed a hold of me. Now we can think about the road to Damascus and we can actually see that happen. And Paul was on his way to kill Christians, to persecute the faith, and God knocked him down, didn't He? God knocked him down, grabbed a hold of him. I mean, He just absolutely revolutionized that whole area. By grabbing hold of Paul, knocking him down and saying, you're mine now. You're going to be my light to the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying, hey, Christ grabbed hold of me. And listen, if you're saved, and maybe it didn't happen in that dramatic fashion, but I'm telling you, if you are saved, Christ has grabbed hold of you. Christ has snatched you out of the pit. He has snatched you out of the pits of hell. He has turned you from one direction to another direction, taking you off the broad road, put you on the narrow road, taking you out of the realm of darkness, placed you in the realm of light. And when He did that, He didn't just grab hold of your leg, did He? He grabbed all of you, didn't He? 
He grabbed all of you. And when you think of how Jesus took a hold of you, when you think how you were lost in your sins, how you were undone, how you were on your way to hell, as we just sang in that beautiful song just a moment ago, when you think of that, man, that ought to inspire you to take hold of Him. Amen? Amen. To take hold of Him completely. All of Him. Not just a part of Him, but because He grabbed all of you. You ought to desire to take all of Him. You know, a sign of humility... Is thankfulness, isn't it? That is a wonderful sign of a humble person. A thankful person. How do you show your thankfulness to Christ? By taking hold of Him. By learning of Him. By living for Him. Are you thankful you're saved? Well, sure I am. You show your thankfulness by taking hold of the One who took hold of you. Now, the second error, I can't be perfect, so why try? I want you to think about that. If I use that logic, I can't be perfect, so why try? If I use that, uh, if I use that logic, I would never rake my yard. Amen? Because by the time I get through my yard, there's leaves everywhere. It's like a battle you cannot win. Amen? You're getting all up and you turn around and look and there they are. But I have to do that. Think about that. If, if, if students use that logic, if I can't get a hundred, I'm not even going to try. If they use that logic, they'd never pass a test, would they? Jesus has told every man in here who is saved to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You might say, well, Pastor Kyle, I can't love like that. No one can love as greatly as Jesus loves. That's not the point. The point is you love to the greatest of your ability as Christ loved to the greatest of His ability when He loved us. We don't just say, well, I'm not going to try to love my wife like Christ loves the church because I know my love could never match the love of Jesus. So you see, when you think of your imperfections, the question is this, do you think of them in a humble way? A humble way. He says, you know what, I'm, I'm not there, but, but I'm going to keep going until I get there. And here's the cool thing. If you're saved, you'll get there. Amen? Not on this earth, but if you're saved, you will get there. You will get to perfection. But how we perceive our perfection will determine if we seek to overcome our... I'm sorry, how we perceive our imperfections will determine if we seek to overcome those imperfections. You know, Paul didn't want anybody to think that he'd arrived because he said, I, I haven't. Yet he was a holy man. Right? He was a holy man. He hadn't arrived, but he was a holy man. And that's an important thing to understand. Frederick Meyer said this. He said, The nearer the saint comes to the perfect life, the farther he feels from it. That's true, isn't it? You see, there were people who look at Paul and say, Paul, I don't know what you need to improve on, man, because you, you seem to have it going on. Man, you're the most dedicated Christian I've ever met. But Paul, looking at himself, said, no. There's no way. Not even close. I'm, I'm not there yet. You see, the closer to Christ-likeness you become, the more humble you will be. The closer to Christ-likeness you become, the humbler you'll be. And by the way, that's how we know if we're legalistic or not. Legalism will make you proud. Oh, I fast twice a week. 
I give and give and give. I do this and I do that. But the humble Christ-like person will say, I don't give enough. I don't serve enough. I don't love enough. Now the third thing I want you to see is, is, is an important part of this message today. That we have to make adjustments in our life to grow in Christ-like perfection. Look at verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I love that Paul just simplified it by saying this. This one thing I do. Because I try to be really simple in my life. Because I'm not the smartest person out there. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know. So Paul, he says, you know, I just do this one thing. Now what is that one thing? Look at verse 14 and you'll see what that one thing is. He's talking about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's looking forward. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? That is the day he stands before Jesus complete. That's the end of his salvation. Paul says, I look forward to the finish line. My mind is on that day. And that was his goal. Now you think this upward call, what in the world is an upward call? Well, in the Greek games, when they were giving out awards for people who had won their particular events, they had an elevated stage. And before everyone, these people who won their, their particular events would be brought up on this elevated platform. And what Paul's doing is he's using something that was known to the people there to illustrate this point. He said there is not only an upward call for these athletes, they're being called upward, elevated on the stage. There's also an upward call for Christians. There's a day when all of us are going to be called up to the Lord. See, Paul knew that one of these days, he knew that one of these days the Lord was going to call him up. And I want you to know if you're saved this morning, that one of these days, the Lord's going to call all of us up. If you're saved, He's going to call you up. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think about that day? Do you think about that day when the Lord's going to call you up? If you're saved, He's going to call you up. And I hope you think about it. That was the one thing Paul thought of. He thought of it every day. One of these days, the Lord's going to call me up. One of these days I'm going to see Him face to face. That was His prize, y'all. His prize was to be called up. Now I want you to know that meditation on heaven will motivate you to Christ-like perfection. When you think about that day, when you think about how you're going to be with the Lord, whether you're young or old, listen to me young people, I'm telling you, you're never too young to think about the moment that you'll be face to face with the Savior. You say, oh, there's a lot of stuff I want to do, Brother Carl. I will guarantee you when you get to heaven, none of that will matter. You'll say, boy, I wish I'd have been here the whole time. I wish I'd have been here forever. There's nothing in this world that can ever compete with the glory that we're going to experience in heaven. And we ought to think about heaven every day because any day we could be going there. We ought to be thinking about heaven every day because any day we could be going there. I tell people this. I say, here's the reality. You have no idea how old you are. And I say that because most of the time when we think of age, we think of when we're going to die. We say, well, you're 20. Oh, you're not old. And what do we mean by that? We mean that you're probably not going to die for a long time. But you know what? You have no idea when you're going to die. So if you're going to die when you're 25 and you're 20, you're old right now. Amen? If you're 30 and you're going to die when you're 40, you're old right now. 
There are some people who are 70, you're going to live to be 100. You're not really that old. Amen? It's just the reality, folks. And we need to really live with the idea that, look, one of these days, I'm going to stand before the Lord. And when your mind is set on that, when your mind is set on going to heaven, it's going to really impact the way that you live your life on earth. The old hymnist said, I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I pray till heaven I've found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Do you, do you say that to the Lord? Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, get me closer to You. Give, give me a look at that great expanse called heaven. That higher plane. Lord, Lord, plant my feet closer to You. The more you meditate on Him, and the more you think about that upward call, that wonderful day, the more Christ-like you're going to be. Remind yourself every day, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Amen? That beautiful city of God. I'm telling you, listen to me teenagers. Think of it every day. Think of it every day. Now we also see that Paul forgot some things. He said forgetting those things that are behind. Now, now what were those things? Well, I don't have time to think of everything, but, but we could think of a few things here that he was forgetting probably. I think old sins. He was a persecutor of the church. He carried that guilt with him through his entire life. But I want you to listen to me. God will never hold a sin against you that He has forgiven. Right? And if God will never hold a sin against you that He has forgiven, don't hold a sin against yourself that God has forgiven. Amen? That's how you continue. Because I'm telling you, if all of you ever think about it, is how much you've failed God... There'll come a time in your life where you'll just quit and you'll just give up and say, well, I can't do this. I'm too terrible of a person. We're all sinners. Every one of us in here. But thank God we're forgiven. And it's a foolish thing to hold sins against yourself that God doesn't even hold against you anymore. If it's under the blood, it's gone. If it's confessed with a sincere spirit, it doesn't even exist anymore. So Paul forgot about old sins. He had to forget about them. And by the way, he had to forget about them every day because the devil keeps a, a good record book, doesn't he? And brings them up over and over. I think also old wounds. Paul talked about the scars on his body. He said, if I were to take my shirt off, you could see that I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had old wounds. The church had let him down on many occasions. False teachers had slandered him. He'd been put in prison. He'd been beaten. But, but he couldn't continue to just think about all the ways he'd been hurt in his life because if he just thought about all the ways he'd been hurt in his life, he would never press on toward that goal of Christ-likeness. Even old victories. Even old victories. Paul had won some wonderful victories. He'd been souls saved, churches planted, rescued from danger. But, but he couldn't be satisfied with those victories. He had to keep moving forward. Thank God you've done some things for the Lord. Amen? But if you're still here, there's some more things for the Lord you're supposed to be doing. Right? Some more victories that you need to win. See, if you want to grow in the Lord, you can't live in the past. There's some things you have to forget. The devil can use failure, the devil can use accomplishments, and the devil can use all of that to keep you from pressing on. All of it. And Paul also 
put great effort into his spiritual life. Look, look at this, where he says, verse 13, straining forward to what lies ahead. That word straining is an interesting word in the Greek. It speaks of an athlete using every muscle in their body to push themselves to the finish line. It's like a runner who's been running the race and he's been going real well and then all of a sudden he can see the finish line and he says, you know what, I'm going to put everything I've got until this last stretch because I can see the end. I'm going to use every muscle I have, every ounce of oxygen, every ounce of energy. I'm just going to lay it all out on the line. That's where that word straining comes from. Now listen to me, church. If we're not striving in the Christian life, we're living as if we're already perfect. You hear me? If we're not striving in the Christian life, we're living as if we're already perfect. By our actions, we're saying, I've arrived. Everyone knows we haven't. And in our heart of hearts, we know we haven't. But by our actions, we're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm there. I've arrived. Could your Christian life be described with that word, striving? I am striving. Is there great effort in your Christian life to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? Being a Christian doesn't mean we're sinless, but it does mean we sin less. Amen? It does mean we sin less. It means that we are recognizing where we fall short and we are striving to overcome that. We, we, we are striving to overcome the sin that's overcome us. Think about Peter. Peter denied he knew the Lord. But later, he got another shot. Amen? He got another shot and he could have denied the Lord again. But guess what? He went to prison for Jesus this time. He went to prison for the Lord. He overcame what overcame Him. Spiritual growth means we sin less than we used to sin. See, if you're saved, you're in the race. That's all there is to it. You're in the race. The question is, how are you running? Are you striving? Are you giving it all you have? Are you sweating for the Lord? Are your lungs burning? Or have you just slowed down to a trot? You're just walking. Maybe you're sitting in the middle of the track. You ever been to some of those, uh, those sport games where somebody made their kid be on the team who had no desire to be on the team? And you know, it's the middle of the game and the center fielder's sitting down picking flowers. Y'all ever seen that? Don't be that. Don't be that kid, amen? You're in this race. You're not here to just trot along or stand around and talk. We're in here, man, to be striving. And if we're not dealing with the sin in our life in a godly way, we're not striving, straining toward that goal. Amen. Listen to me, church. Sin is like cancer. You can't wish it away. You're not going to just wake up tomorrow and your sin's gone. It takes effort. It, it takes resolve. It has to be dealt with. It has to be cut out. It has to be removed from your life. And so if you're waiting just to be like Jesus one day, no, no, it's not going to just happen. It comes when you get sick and tired of the sin in your life. And you say, you know what, I'm going to deal with this sin in a godly way. And as I deal with this in this area, I'll be more like Christ. 
The last thing I want you to see here is in verses 15 and 16 is we must trust that God will reveal His truth to others. Look at verse 15 and 16 where he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So he's saying here that mature Christians are going to recognize the importance of striving toward Christ-like perfection. He says, if, if you're a mature Christian, this is going to ring true to you. You're going to agree with what I'm saying here. When you go back to verses 1 through 11, and you'll see Paul was warning against the false teachers there. That what they were, he was saying, perfection can't be attained through keeping the law. But yet there were those who believed that perfection could come through keeping the law. These were false teachers and they were in error. Paul was saying God's got to reveal the truth to them. But then there were those other people who were thinking that we shouldn't even attempt perfection because, well, we can't be perfect in this world anyway. Both of those groups were wrong. Paul says mature believers are going to understand the truth. And the truth is this. Perfection means to be like Jesus Christ. And anyone who's saved wants to be like Jesus Anyone who's saved wants to be like Jesus. So this morning, friend, when you think about this, do you think about your spiritual maturity? Do you think about your own spiritual maturity, not the spiritual maturity of other people? You know, in my life as a Christian, I have to ask myself particular questions. I have to be honest with myself. I have to ask myself, am I satisfied with spiritual immaturity? Now here's the thing, if you are satisfied with being spiritually immature, if you're absolutely okay with everyone having to feed you all the time, everyone having to change your diaper all the time, everyone having to come to your rescue and deal with all your problems all the time, if you're satisfied with that, Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said spiritually immature Christians are like little babies. They're on the bottle, they're fussing and fighting, they're crying, and you can't get any work done, and all you can ever do is preach how to be saved to them. Because they're immature. And if you're satisfied with that, there's nothing me or anybody else can do for you. God's got to deal with you. God has to reveal this to you. That's what Paul says here. God has to show you your error. And this would be my recommendation if you're one of those people. I would recommend that you study Jesus Christ. Study Jesus from the Word. And then lay your own life beside the life of Jesus and compare the two and ask yourself a simple question. Am I like Jesus? Am I like Jesus morally? Do I seek to live a holy life? Am I like Jesus in service? Do I give my life to the service of others? Am I like Jesus in attitude? Do I have a humble spirit? Is my mind set on the kingdom of God? You may not be a bad person as far as the world's standards go. But that's not the question. The question is, are you like Jesus? Right? Are you like Jesus? And if you're not like Jesus, what steps are you taking in your life to become like Jesus? That's the issue Paul here is dealing with. You know, when I got saved, there was a whole lot of things I quit doing, doing them for one simple reason. I thought Jesus wouldn't do this. Amen? I didn't have to know the whole Bible. When I came to know who Jesus was, no matter what it was in my life, and so if there's something in your life, just ask yourself that question. There's something in your life. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something that, that you do and, and others, well, they don't do it, but you don't really think it hurts you. Just ask yourself that question. Would Jesus Christ do what I'm doing? 
Would he do this? And here's the thing. If the answer is probably not, don't do it. Amen? That's not hard, is it? Not hard at all. And then there are things that I started doing. Why? Because I saw them in the Word. I saw Jesus did those things. And I'm not like Jesus. I'm not perfect. No. But I'm more like Jesus than I was. Amen. I'm more like Jesus than I was on January the 13th, 1996. Amen. And so that's the idea. No, you're not going to be exactly like Jesus in this world. But here's the question. Are you more like Jesus? That's your goal. Your goal is to be more like Jesus. And that's what mature Christians do. Mature Christians do that. They say, I need to grow in my knowledge of Jesus because my goal in life is to be like Him. And how can I be like Him if I don't know about Him? And they recognize that they have to adjust their lives in a way that will make their life resemble the life of Jesus more and more. And there are people who don't get this. And that's why Paul said, look, we just got to trust that God's going to reveal this to people. But then there are people who do get it. I would hope that everybody in this room does. And the responsibility of the mature Christian is to live up to the level of the knowledge that we have of the truth. That's what Paul says there in the last verse. When God reveals Himself to us, it's our responsibility to take the knowledge that He has given, what we have attained, and to press on. Now I want to give a little sub-point on this. Significant spiritual growth will happen if you simply obey what you already know to be true. I, I, I say that, I mentioned this in, in a Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago. My point is, you don't have to be a great Bible scholar to grow toward perfection. You don't have to be a great Bible scholar to grow toward Christ-likeness. You just have to take very simple truths from the Word of God and obey them. Let me give you a real simple one. Forgive. Amen? Do you know that that, that is most... I don't know of a Christian who wouldn't say that's one of the biggest things of being a Christian. Forgive. Amen? And maybe you don't know a whole lot about the Bible. But I bet you know this. You're supposed to forgive people. Amen? And so you know how to grow and be more like Jesus? Just say, I'm not going to hold on to any bitterness. I'm not going to hold on to any grudges. I'm just going to forgive. 100% forgive. Here's another way. Very simple thing. Stop sinning. I know that we sin, but we don't plan on sinning. If there's something in your life you know, you know this is a sin. You know it's terrible. You know it's not something that you want everybody to even know that you do because it's shameful. Stop doing it. No matter what it is, if it's something you only do when you're alone and nobody's there, stop. If it's something you just don't do around other Christians, but you know it's a sin, but you don't do it around other Christians, stop. If it's a sin, just stop. Repent. That's what it means to turn away from it. Stop. Here's another simple way. I think all Christians would think that you're supposed to read the Bible. Amen? Read the Bible. Read it a lot. Listen to it being taught. Listen to it being preached. Meditate on it. I think everybody would agree a simple truth is be a servant. We're supposed to serve people, right? Start serving people. You see, the journey to Christ-likeness begins with simple steps. 
The journey to Christ like this begins with simple steps, but you have to be willing to make those steps. And so the question I'll ask myself and all of us here this morning, am I pressing on? Am I striving for, perfect, for perfection? Is the goal in my life every day to wake up and say, I want to be like Jesus Christ. I want to be like Jesus Christ. That was Paul's goal. And he knew that one of these days he would be like Christ because he would reach heaven short. But he wouldn't wait until that day to start the process of becoming like Jesus. He said, every day I'll seek, I'll strive, I'll forget what's behind, I'll press on toward the goal. And the goal is to be like Jesus. Friend, listen, if you're not saved, you can't, you can't be like Jesus. You have to be born again. Turn from your sins today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've just been satisfied with a imperfection. There's some things in your life you need to deal with. God will hear you. God will forgive you. And God will give you the power to be who He's called you to be. Submit your life to Him. With every head bowed.